everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of RC Weekly, our weekly podcast on religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. We're one man down. Rev. Johnny Solomon is not with us today. Unfortunately, he couldn't make the time of the taping. Why did we say tape? There's no tape anymore. I don't really know. Um, I'm here with Rev. Dean Bravsky. My name is Ruven Spolter. And we're going to start a little bit uh, in a different, on a, on a different uh, note or a different tone than we normally do and talk about the all-important movie coming out in the coming week. I guess we're modern orthodox, okay? Which is, of course, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. So before I let Molly, uh, get Molly riled up and get her all excited, I have a couple of points that I need to make about Star Wars Episode Eight. First of all, I, you know, first three movies, very good. After that, like four, five, and six were good. One, two, and three, terrible. You, you, were, you had hope for seven and eight. When seven came out, okay, eight, you already have to watch it because, you know, now you're already sucked in too deep, and that's kind of how I feel about nine. But first and foremost, movie eight was just a terrible movie. But let's leave the terribleness of the movie aside. I want to focus on a particular scene that I believe was just a complete and total attack on religiosity and any sense of tradition. So, Molly, what are the what is the Jedi Order? It is a thousand generations of what I would call Misora. That the Jedi's were, were born with a certain incline, a certain inclination or, or natural ability. They're identified as such with that with that quality at birth. And then the Jedi Knights take them and train them from youth in the arts of the Jedi mastership or whatever you want to call it, training them to be leaders, protectors of the Jedi tradition. And this is how it was for thousands of generations. We learn in episode eight that there were actually scrolls and books from which the Jedi generated their traditions and from which they learned their great wisdom and passed it on from generation to generation. And all of a sudden comes episode eight. Luke Skywalker, in a fit of anger about the fact that his protege is now once again betrayed him or whatever, decides he's going to destroy the scrolls and destroy the tree of life. Get it? Eitz Chaim, the tree of Jediness or whatever they call it. Fine. And, uh, but he can't bring himself to do it in the end. Along comes Yoda out of the death. Yes, I remember. I actually watched it back again. Along comes Yoda, you know, like ghost Yoda. And Yoda himself says, eh, who needs it? Brings a lightning bolt. Boom, destroys all the squirrels. Luke looks at him and says, what? What are you doing? This is our home Misora. Yoda says, Misora, Misora. And I am paraphrasing. He doesn't really say that. He says, you think that girl, whatever her name is, Ray." She knows in her little pinky naturally what anything you can teach her in the Misora. And in one fell swoop, the director and the authors of, or whatever, the director of Star Wars, has decided that old ancient tradition doesn't mean anything. Values that people hold dear doesn't mean anything. People don't need to learn anything from old books. Anything you need to know, you can learn on your own by your own sense of intuition. Anyone can be a Jedi Master. And I was like, you know, here we are, we're working in, in, in the field of education and chinuch and tradition and ancient values, the molding of the old and the new. And it's not like Yoda said, yes, we have what to teach them. There is something new, but the scrolls have value. The scrolls are worthless. They're worth nothing. And I thought to myself, my God, every young Jew, every young person is watching this thinking, yeah, who needs scrolls? I could be a Jedi on my own. Judaism is what we think it means. I have more in my little pinky of Misora than anything. I find this, like, I, find, I just found it very, very disturbing, very postmodern, very 21st century, and everything wrong with, with, with society today. That's my rant. 
Molly, agree or disagree? Uh, I agree. Oh, I I agree, and even I agree a thousand times and a thousand times stronger. Um, I introduced myself as a great big Star Wars fan um, since 1970, whatever it was, um, and um, devoted. Wait, did you see Star Wars in I the did theater? Not see Star Wars the in the theater. I, the first time I saw Star Wars was when it was on television. I believe that was actually in 1984. Um, but I'm not sure. I have a vague memory. I didn't actually even see Empire Strikes Back in the theater. I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater, and I only saw Empire Strikes Back after Return of the Jedi. That's just a little bit of trivia. But that didn't stop me then from watching each of the movies. I've probably watched them in the hundreds, if not higher, each of the original trilogy. Um, I, I'm not joking. Um, and I am a hater, um, despiser of the Disney sequels. Those of us who are who feel that way, don't even call them the Star Wars sequels. They don't deserve that name. They are called the Disney. You mean, you mean 7, seven eight, 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 and 9 one, two, are a three. giant, um, uh, well, I'm, I, I'll try not to sound too, you know, bombastic, but let's just say you said this was the all-important movie that's coming out. It is completely not important. It is completely trivial. Star Wars is dead. Um, it's over. It's kill. And ironically, by the way, when you were talking about this whole idea of, like, the past, the line in the movie, actually, it, that Kylo Ren says to Rey is, forget the past, kill it if you have to. And basically, among Star Wars fans who feel, they feel that that's exactly what Lucasfilm, um, and especially Ryan Johnson, who directed The Last Jedi, but no small part, also Kathleen Kennedy, who's in charge of Lucasfilm, and even J.J. Abrams, who directed the first and now this one, that's basically their motto, forget the past, kill it if you have to. Um, now, there's so much to say about why I hate these movies. Um, I, I, so I'm just going to kind of say it in a nutshell because I want to hone in on your point, which I completely agree with, being the reason I hate these movies. First of all, they're bad movies. Um, there's, there's no plot. They had no cohesive plot from from seven to nine. They have no idea what they're doing. It, it, this JJ... Wait, aren't seven to nine just a rehash of four? Se six, seven was a rehash nine. of four because he just wanted to cash in all that nostalgia. Then... then then right. eight was Ryan Johnson decided to, in his own words, subvert everybody's expectations, and he basically threw everything out that J.J. Abrams, whose way of making movies is what he calls mystery boxes. Oh, who's this Ray? Oh, who, what's her lineage? Oh, who's this Snoke? What are the lights of Knights of Ren? And J.J. Abrams like nothing that matters. Who cares? And he threw it all in the garbage. And then <laughs> with a third movie that makes there's zero coherent sense. Now, what? Okay, so why is that true? Why is there no coherent sense? Why are the plots of the movies not good? Plot was not the main point here. The characters are not interesting. Nobody's invested in these characters. Nobody really cares about them. They're dull. They're boring. I won't talk a lot about that, but there's a lot to say about that. But the reason that happened was because Disney was interested in pushing an agenda rather than telling good stories. And uh, maybe I won't go into that unless if people are interested. I actually. Ironically, the night I saw The Last Jedi wrote a Facebook post critiquing The Last Jedi, completely lit to me and innocent, and every single thing I said has been proven true and has been, like, um, just just inflated over the past whatever it is year. So if people want, I'll, I'll link that in the in our... No, no, you can tell us. Uh, you can okay, tell me briefly. I'll tell you very briefly. Your, very briefly, the agenda. the agenda was diversity, women, um, um, smash the patriarchy. Okay? That was their agenda. Okay, and therefore we have a character, main character, Ray, who has to be a woman who has no flaws. Did she do anything wrong yet? And she's perfect. And she, first of all, she has zero character arc. Right, a character arc is a person who 
You go out into the world, you know, you, you seem to have talent, but then you fall and then you get up again, right? You have some kind of a test. I don't see any test with Ray. She's just perfect. She does everything effortlessly, right? She's, uh, whatever. There's a term for her in the, I just, I don't want to get too divisive and I don't want people who identify with the left to chop my head off. So I won't, I won't say it, but like, she's just, she's ridiculous. No, I, I honestly, I have no idea what you're talking about. What term she's are you a Mary Sue, to? okay? A Mary Sue is a character that comes from a, from a, um, Googling Google, now. Google okay, Mary go Sue. Um, it was like a fan fiction. I think it took place in the Star Trek universe. This perfect character named Mary Sue, who like Kirk fell in love with, Spock fell in love with. She could do everything. She had no flaws. She was just perfect, right? That's a Mary Sue. Ray is a Mary Sue. Okay. Ray is the most powerful Jedi that ever existed with zero training and zero flaws. It's, a ridic it's completely ridiculous. Um, beyond that, what they're doing is they're, tr first of all, they're trashing all men, right? Right, there's not one male character who comes out good in um, starting even with JJ, who decided that Han Solo was a deadbeat dad. Right, that's not our, our image of Han Solo. Luke Skywalker is a um, cranky old get off my lawn hermit who has given up everything that he believed in. Um, and even Poe in the third movie is is a you know just a crazy hot headed male who wants to blow things up. And Finn, who is actually, right, they put him in because they wanted a black character, which I think is wonderful, he ends up being a buffoon. He ends up being, stumbling around, they make jokes at his expense. But I don't want to get sidetracked. The, the point that I want to get to is, so they had this agenda they wanted to push, okay? The way they did it is, is basically by destroying everything that Star Wars stood for. Because what did Star Wars stand for? Um, George Lucas explicitly said, this movie is a retelling of the classic, what, what's called the monomyth of the hero, or the hero's journey, um, based on um, Joseph Campbell's hero, not just Joseph Campbell, but he explicitly quotes Joseph Campbell, hero of the, of the thousand faces, right? The, the, there's basically a one storyline that every story that captures the human imagination tells. It could be Harry Potter, it could be Lord of the Rings, it could be Percy Jackson, it could be um, Spider-Man, Iron Man, it doesn't matter. It's super Person, young person young born person into difficulty. Born as a as an orphan, born into difficulty, actually has superpowers that he discovers that are gonna that's gonna change the world. He's helped along by an elder helper, sometimes by a by a um, by a strange creature, a, a witch or a, a goblin that turns out to also be mystical. And he basically has to slay the dragon, find the gold, save the princess, and save the world. Right? It's the same story. And the reason it speaks to us is because it speaks to the archetypes within human nature. It's a story about good and evil. It's a story about choices. It's, 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 it's a story of our development. It speaks to us so deeply because it's really the story of heroism, right? That's really what it is. And I mean individual heroism. Okay, I'm going to get back to my, <coughs> to my point. Yes, do you have a question? I, I just would, would want to add yeah. that also there, to me, resonates the idea of the the dark side of and the light, the power of good and evil. Yes. And in, 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 especially in, in number eight, like they made a point to show that there is no good and evil. Exactly. They're all just both sides. And, and you know what I'm saying? Who needs good and there's nobody evil? good, there's nobody bad. Let's go to Council Bite and this, you know, war. Everybody wants to fight war. But it's so agenda-driven, it is beyond belief. But again, I would forgive them for that. I can't forgive them for destroying the mythology of Star Wars. They basically took every single thing that Star Wars stood for, and they killed it. They destroyed it. They deliberately destroyed Luke Skywalker's character, right? And that was all purposeful. 
because their message is essentially the message that you 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 are saying, right? They, they are, and again, what I believe it was deliberate because again, it's smash the patriarchy. It's you know everybody old is and you know all those old white dudes who wrote Star Wars are bad and stupid. Um, and we are now woke, and we have the new Basura for the entire universe. Um, and it was also not deliberate in the sense that they just wrote a really bad, stupid plot. But the point is, at the end of the day, um, the messages they are sending are awful, and they are what you're saying, right? Basically, um, it, also, by the way, they undid everything that happened at the end of the first three movies, right? The end of the first three movies, Luke's hero's journey redeems his father, which is another archetypal archetypical archetypal uh myth right you have to say i know and there, and um, there is ideas there is the chuva is, a, yes, is, is possible, is possible. We can change. Again, you can go back into your past and redeem your past that's a very i see good in you father yes, all that kind of and, stuff and that's a message about valuing the past going back to the past finding what's great in the past integrating it into yourself Right, And in that way, you also save the past. Because the truth is, the past is complex. The past does have good, and the past does have bad. But the message of the archetype that was de developed in Return of the Jedi is, you can choose to look for the good in the past. And you can choose to pull the positive out of the past and to focus on that. Which is the opposite of what they're saying in The Last Jedi. Right? It's the exact opposite message, which is why you are completely right. Right? Um, and, and basically, what I see coming out of this movie is um, contempt, contempt for the past, lack of understanding, ignorance about the past. It's even like, they don't get the monomyth. I heard Ryan Johnson be interviewed. He's like, yeah, I get that monomyth thing. It's about like all teenagers need to rebel against their parents to grow up. I'm like, that is not the monomyth. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, so there's like complete... I'm sorry, I'm enjoying your question. <laughs> I can't, I can't. You have no idea how exciting it is for me to get to talk about this. Um, right? See, only the negative in the past and not the positive... Um, a lot of disrespect, um, a lot, it's very simplistic, it's very not nuanced, and I, and to go back to your point... Wait, just for all of you listening at home, Molly's reading from notes, I, so I she has notes on this, she's been waiting to talk about I just took his notes like two minutes ago, it took me five <laughs> seconds, I have, you've no idea how exciting it is for me to talk about this, because this is what I've been thinking about since the last, the, since The Force Awakens came out. I was already mad when The Force Awakens came out, because I didn't like that they undid the end of the, the of Star Wars, of Return of the Jedi. Um... So, but what I will say is that you are correct, that the message they are sending is um, the old scrolls don't matter, wi um, wisdom, the past, wisdom of the past doesn't matter, training doesn't matter, right? Right, it doesn't matter, you, you, you don't need right, to train, you either have it or you don't. Right? People are basically saying, like, if Ray doesn't get trained in this movie, in this Rise of Skywalker movie, we're, we're just going to, like, our heads are going to explode. <laughs> they have to like train her from the dead but like most people who are really like me are not seeing this movie they are so annoyed and i don't want to say spoilers for people but like it, it's it's so outrageous they hadn't they, it, it's just a, such a it's such a mess that like jj had to like reach for like whatever i won't tell anybody but it's a mess but the point is you are a hundred percent right um, and I think it's a very, very unhealthy message beyond just what you're saying, but it, again, about the nature of good and evil, about the nature of humanity, um, the, the nature of what it means to be a hero and to take responsibility and to make good choices. They have taken that and they have burnt it all up for, um, at, the, at best, I would say, uh, a very shallow and non-compelling plot and at worst, some very 
um, unhealthy and insidious ideas. So that's a great visual effect. Great. Yeah. Okay. So like, it's again, it's all external. Let's, let's blow some stuff up and, you know, fill the screen with flash. Cause that's what matters. It doesn't matter that like we have meaning and depth and uh, we speak to people's souls. Okay. Yeah. So, so th that being said, Molly, after that rant, yes. I mean, your comments about Star Wars are also a comment about Hollywood and Disneyfication in general. Yes. So just listening to you go crazy about these things makes me makes me think to myself, okay, the reason why we're talking about Star Wars is because we're modern Orthodox and I try to at least connect it to tradition in some way. But does it not make you wonder what's and not wonder? Like I, I often feel this way, like we are we are consumers of modern culture. Um, sometimes unapologetically so, usually without thinking about it. We've talked about right. this in the past. Yeah, this with this being said, we are no longer in the era of, of Lichtenstein and Milton and Shakespeare Correct. and trying to find the best of culture. We're now dealing with, uh, it's obvious, I mean, it's not even, it's not even, like, let's leave the sexuality on the side, you mm -hmm. know, of like of everything coming out of Hollywood and how there's no such thing as a joke without, without lewdness and, 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 you know, the I Love Lucy's of the world like don't exist anymore. Let's leave all that on the side. How do you if you if you appreciate that Hollywood's goal is to promote an agenda that's completely antithetical to your values and and the ideals that you hold dear? How do we justify going to see movies? Right. So I think you have Actually, to be an extremely educated consumer, and you have to uh, with your eyes wide open. And we've had this conversation, right? I know, my, I mean, but you like, you made this whole case for how terrible it, it is. It is terrible. You know? I'm not it, seeing the rise of Skywalker. I refuse to see it. And my kids are going to... Oh, that was my next question. Are you going to watch the movie? No way. No way. First of all, I can't go to the theater. <laughs> but I will, not give Disney I will not give Disney money for that. I will see The Mandalorian, which is another Disney movie, but it doesn't. it is not a, in this agenda-driven, above all other values piece of work it's rather a good apparently a good story which is why people like it um so again i think you have to be ex you have to have your eyes wide open um you have to understand what's going on you have you can't be naive and innocent you have to understand what subliminal messages hollywood is trying to send to you and you have to decide what messages do you agree with what messages do you disagree with um, where, what your core values are, first of all, and start from I that I know place. we've talked about this. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but aren't, I mean, I just don't, aren't we just being naive? The whole point of watching television is not to think. If I wanted to think, I'd read a book. But the reason I, I sit down and watch a TV show is because I want to turn my mind off and just enjoy the visual effects or enjoy the whatever and sort of like suck it all in. And I'm telling you that myself. But that being said, they know this. And they know that that's the easiest Correct. and most opportune time to transmit the most insidious values possible. So then I would say, then and, and it's working. Right. So I don't, I'm not a big consumer of modern Hollywood stuff. I'm not, less and less. And I used to say, okay, so I'll just go to Pixar. And then I saw what they did to like, uh, it's happening in, in, in Pixar as well now. Whatever. I'll, that's for a different, different rant. Um, Oh, and you reminded me, did you see the introductory small video before they showed, um, what was the one about the brain, whatever they call it, you Inside know what I'm saying? Out? So there was, a, oh yeah, did you see the one about the, the introductory one? It was about this mother who raised her, her son, dumpling, Japanese her baby mother. baby dumpling, that one? Yeah, the yeah. dumpling, right. Did yeah. you see that one? So that was very good. 
Good. Right. And that, that was all about encouraging yes. intermarriage and rejecting your parents' uh, um, rejecting your parents' tradition. Okay. Listen, but that's why. That's exactly. Um, consumer, you have to exactly what you're doing. You have to look with critical eyes always, and you have to say, what messages are they sending? What part do I accept? What part do I reject? What part am I going to think about more deeply? What 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 stuff am I going to stay away from completely? And not just as you're saying because um, it's inappropriate sexually or language or violence, but because I think the messages it's sending are unhealthy. You know, look, if I am going to turn off my mind and I'm going to just watch mindless shows, what are those mindless shows going to be? And choose ones that are relatively, um, you know, like candy as opposed to like, um, you know, poison. And you're going to tell me, well, candy's not good either. It rots your teeth. That's also true. You know what you're doing. And even with the candy, you have to watch yourself. I, I, I am, at least I feel I am honest enough to say, yeah, I shouldn't do that. Okay, then I don't think you should. There's nothing, there is nothing of religious so I, value. I don't agree with you. Yeah. I think that when I need to... At, at the very least, between you and me, at least I feel okay watching football. It's violence, <laughs> but it's like... There's at least sports. Okay, you can make an argument. This sports. is what we value and this is where we give all our money, right? We give you teachers and, and, and therapists and, um, I don't know, you know, helpers, are, nurses are underpaid and this is where we're putting all our money, right? There's, you just need to be a critical thinker. You can never, I don't believe you can ever turn off your critical brain. Um, and again, when I'm watching a mindless show, I don't feel guilty about it. I don't, first of all, I don't think I watch mindless shows. I think I watch funny shows when I need to to decompress. Um, but I'm always aware. What are they? What messages are they sending? You have to always, always have that part of your brain. Up. If you don't have a brain that does that, well. then I don't know if you should be doing it. Like you. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody should be doing okay, it. Okay, I think if we really, if I really believe in in the in the in the books that are in front of me, in the Torah that I study, I you know I I, I, I you'd be hard pressed to find any shows that are like wow that was really spiritually uplifting and a positive. I just experience watched a show last about, night. It was it was a, a a Netflix show called A Marriage Story, and it was about how devastating divorce is and how awful lawyers are. And I thought I found that valuable. First of all, I was like, oh, Altas Atzmechak Archei Hadayanim. Chazal knew exactly. <laughs> no, really, dead serious. And it was a uh-huh. very, it was a great, and by the way, it had the actor from, uh, just so everybody should know, I'm not just aimlessly bashing. It had Adam Driver, who plays Kylo Ren in the, who I think is one of the most awful characters ever created. He did a wonderful, <laughs> he did whatever, he plays like a petulant child. That's supposed to scare me, like a, a, like a baby yeah. having tantrums. Okay, anyway, um, but the point is, that movie opened my eyes to like like the pain and the tragedy of what happens when a loving couple decides that they have to divorce and and what can happen to the children and what happens when you bring in um, again you, they they had the most civil intentions and once you bring in the lawyers what happened that was a valuable experience. And- I would agree with that. That could possibly be valuable, but I refuse to watch that movie because who wants to watch a marriage okay, fall so apart? I like find so that fascinating because I find psychological portrayals really interesting. You have to know yourself. Okay. Anyway, yes, I agree yeah. with you about everything you said about the Last Jedi and more. Yes. So according to, we'll wrap this uh, part of the discussion up. According to Molly's recommendation, don't go no, see I the Last Jedi. I'm not going for a boycott because then you get accused of being a toxic fan. Everybody can do whatever they want. 
choose to go, choose not to go, do whatever you want. Um, I personally am not going to give Disney any money. For Recap on next week's episode. We'll turn to our, exactly. <laughs> we'll turn to our, to our next topic. Our second topic I want to talk about. It was a news item in, uh, in, 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 that was in the press or all over the Jewish press, all the Israeli press, that it was recently learned, recently discovered by a woman named Carmela Menashe, who's a reporter in Khan, that uh, oh, the sorry, army. Can I just say one more thing about this topic? About, I started my so thing. I just really want to okay, say ahead. that, like, do you know this OK Boomer trend that's going on? Do you know, do you know no what that idea. is? Okay, so forget. I, Wait, Google it. Okay, I find <laughs> it to be part and parcel of what, what I object to, what we were talking about in The Last Jedi, where it's like people are just simplistically dismissing the past without any respect for elders, without any sense of nuance, without any willingness to learn about a time period that they know very little about. They're just accepting at face value what they're told about it. Um, and they're... Oh, you mean like if you say, so if, if you, you say, say, if you say, oh, if you say, you know, you really should look into that, they were okay, like, boomer. okay, boomer, right? whatever. It's so disrespectful. <laughs> it's so not nuanced. It's so uninformed. It's so simplistic. And it's so the opposite of civil discourse and dialogue. Like, what? how is that positive in any universe? And I feel that is a very, very unhealthy trend. It's part and parcel of the same thing. Yeah, you've just described social media in general. Yeah. Anything you say, trying to be serious. Uh, okay, okay. so then social media plays a part in this. But I'm saying that, like, it's a very, very worrying trend in terms of uh, where our society is going. But this but th this is particularly worrying because it goes back to what you said. It's about how do you think about the past, right? And OK Boomer says, this is how I think about the past. I know everything. You're You're idiotic. I'm painting you all the entire history of your life with one brush, and I'm not even going to engage with you. And I'm going to look down on you with contempt, even though you're an elder. I find it so disturbing. Okay. There's only one thing I can. There's only one thing I can say to that. I'm going to say, "Okay, boomer," but I'm not a boomer. Okay, boomer. Say, okay, Gen Xer, because I'm not a boomer. All right, now we're get off my lawn, exactly. you young people. Get off my lawn. Why can't we have civil discourse? Why can't we communicate healthily and respectfully? Why can't the young learn from the old and the old learn from the young and, and communicate across generations? That's the Jewish values. The Choyamot Olam, Binush no Dor Vador, right? Shma Benim Musa Avicha Valti Tosh These are Jewish values. And you think that they should be so obvious, and we're in a time where they are not obvious at all. And that's why I go back to your point is 100% correct. Jewish values um, have over and over to be our, um, our lifeline. Okay, sorry. Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yes, yes, but we are dealing in a culture that totally rejects the idea of a uh, transmitted value, and it, it, it venerates the young, it shuns its old people away from society, so we don't have to look at them when they're older, we don't have anything to do with them. And that's why I'm saying... It, it completely rejects the, any value right. of age and, and so wisdom thank God and that we have Judaism, and I agree with you here, the more we, we hold on to our values, I think we're going to be healthier people. And have a healthier culture. And that being said, okay. that being said, it's very interesting. I mean, you just made you made me think. Like when I moved to one of the things that I particularly loved about my shul in Michigan was the fact that the shul was a was a real conglomeration of young and old. There were there were a lot of older members, and like we would fight with them. Not we would fight with them. The younger generation would fight with them. They wanted to change the mechitza. They wanted to do whatever. But the old people who built the shul said, you know, we'll think about that. <laughs> but no. It's not that we did it. It's not we're going to do it. And there was like a tension, a natural tension. 
But it was such a pleasure to come to shul every morning and see these guys and drink coffee mm-hmm. with them and give the pasha share to the to the senior women, like 30 women who would come every week and we would talk about the parsha. And they were just like, and so now I came to Yad Bin Amin and 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 they're just and I don't know about in your community, my lunch but here where I live and a lot of our communities, that older generation, there's just very few of them that live that live amongst us, like they live in other places or they didn't move out. You know what I'm saying? But we've, we've siloed ourselves in a large way away from that older generation. We don't really have much to do with them. And my children don't. I remember growing up, like, the candy man was an older man. And yeah. I, I, something about it is missing to me. No, I agree with you. I think the degree to which our communities are integrated and that we um, we've, we model, um, you know, the Hadar Tapene Zakein is, again, going to be beneficial for our community, for our children. I agree with you 100%. Can I go yes, on now can. to uh, Gius? I mean, I'm okay. okay. Go we'll ahead. See. We'll, we'll introduce it. I'll, I'll, we'll just mention a few points okay, about it. Although there's a lot to talk about. I want to talk about uh, the, 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 we'll go back to Gius Haredim, the Haredi draft. So it was, it was revealed that when the army said that more and more Haredim are enlisting in the in the IDF over the years and the army is meeting its goals, so that was like, what's the word I want to use? A lie. That was just literally a lie. And it's it, it's a terrible thing for many, many reasons. Most fundamentally, because the army is one of the most trusted, most trusted, uh, reliable, reliable institutions in Israeli society, and it, by definition, needs to be. You have to trust the army. You know. So now, when the army lied about this, are they lying about? I wonder. Are they lying about the the you know the percentage of Kippah Barzel hits? Are they lying about? You know, they, it turns out they were also lying about the number of uh, religious women that were enlisting the army. Just totally lying about it. And uh, that lack of trust in the army is just a, a very, very damaging thing to Israeli society. But it also raised the idea of, of the idea of, of Haredi draft, and it raised the question of fundamentally, like, why is the army failing? Why are Haredi? It turns out that people enlisting in Nachal Haredi either used to be Haredi. In general, it's probably also many, uh, you know, more more religious religious Zionists who want a more Mahadran environment, which to me is fine. They should have offered that to them in the first place. I don't know why we need Haredim. And to be honest, that's a very big shortcoming of our community that we didn't demand the same demands that Haredim demand for our young people to be in the army. And that being said, but the question is why? Why are the Haredim not enlisting? And so we, I, I pointed, Mali, I pointed you to an article uh, written by Nathan Slivkin, who explained that there, that not, he wasn't surprised at all. Like, the Haredim themselves, that everybody knew the Haredim were not enlisting. And if you don't mind, would you mind paraphrasing and explaining why he said uh, the Haredim were not enlisting? Yeah, so, and why they won't. If right. So, okay. so the truth is, this is what he said. Um, but the truth is, it's, it's also what I heard, because I asked somebody Haredi um, during, like, one of the most contentious parts where there were, like, riots, and everybody was, and it was very, very disturbing. And I went to somebody Haredi, and I said, please explain this to me. Like, like, what is happening? And he said, like, like uh, that's how Slifkin said. And I think also you, you also pointed me to a um, um, post by Eli Ofran, who said the same thing, which is, "Some Haredim are not enlisting." It has nothing to do ideologically say about we need whatever it is that needs to be told or told. There's one reason Haredim are not enlisting. It's because they want their grandchildren to remain Haredi. And they are afraid that if they send their children to the army, their grandchildren will no longer be Haredi and their Haredi lifestyle will not be sustained. Period. End of story. That is the main reason. Um, Good. Good. Are they they right? Do you think they're right? um, They are probably right. Um, They are probably right. Um, Yes. (laughs) The question is... Therefore, what? Like, does that therefore justify? No, that's not my question. The question then yeah. is, 
why am I sending my children to okay. the army? Why are you sending your children right. to the army? So that's what, that's what I was about to say, which is like, does that justify therefore doing two things? One is um, something that, that they're doing that I think is probably a problem from a moral perspective, which is, which is, like, I think it's morally problematic. Right. And the other thing is that either, the, I don't know if they could call this, this is their fault or it's the fault of the way we've built our society, but we're, 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 we're they're imprisoned in lives of, of, um, of limitation because they're not allowed to do certain things if they don't go to the army. And therefore, I think for both of those reasons, a better approach would be to figure out a way to um, to help Haredim integrate more, also for their own sakes. Um, but 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 maybe like like that was in a second Nachman Slifkin article where he basically said he thinks it should be a Wait one second. Wait, 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 go yeah. back, go back. When you say integrate, integrate right, in which exactly. way? Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Like maybe I, maybe I'm not convinced that we need to push every single 18 year old Haredi boy into the army. Maybe, maybe we could find a way around that. But maybe we should be, um, like um, finding ways that they can become educated that work for them. Right, creating institutions that they're comfortable going to. Um, a kind of, I don't know, work, figure out, I, I don't know, but like, we need to be thoughtful, we need to, to have a multi-pronged approach, we need to work together with them, um, we need to recognize that their concerns are real and legitimate, um, and, and we need to maybe go very slowly and pilot so that they can see what happens, like when you said like the Dati Lumi, you know, and like, what happens to the Dati Lumi kids, so it's not so simple, and like, there was another article, I think that was also in in Natan Slifkin's article, or maybe it was in Rav Lamed's article, which is a, one more point, where he says, Datilumi kids who go in, in Hezder come out stronger. Datilumi kids who go in regular army are do more likely statistically have a fallout. Right, that raises a point that I, I think is fair, meaning it was understood and accepted that Haredim, if they're going to go to the army, of course we're going to create a separate unit for them, and we won't, they want to interact with other people. And even in the Haredim, we're worried about it. But for us, when we send our children, so I think the, 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 the issues of, you know, and also it's a mitzvah to serve in the army. Like, okay, you can value those things, but where in the world does that mitzvah say that it should be at the cost of my sons or my, my daughters, even religious religious faith and growth and spirituality. Why is it that our community is not making the exact same demands of the army and saying, yeah, of course we'll serve, and we're the best people to serve, we're the most motivated, but we'll serve in the way that we're ready to so serve. The, you know, yeah. I, 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 I want to finish Sorry. my point. Go ahead. The, the, the idea, and like, Hezer units are great, but they have many shortcomings. The first of which is, it's very limited in the way, in, in the things that they can do and the amount of service they can offer and the, you know, and, and people don't really understand this, but a lot of young men don't want to just do 18 months. Or, even more importantly, they don't want to learn yeshiva for three and a half years. They're not yeshiva material. And they're wonderful boys, but they, they don't want to go to Hezder. So, but once you're not in Hezder, people don't understand this. Once you're out of the Hezder um, uh, program, the official program, once you're out of that unit, you just get thrown into the rest of the army. And you have to fend for yourself when it comes to minyanim, when it comes to forget minyanim, when it comes to getting up in the morning, when it comes to interacting with people of the opposite sex, when it comes to values. The army is just like a huge college dorm of young people with guns, a lot of guns, and working very hard and overtired. 
And then you're asking a young person to say, who's a very wonderful religious person, who just doesn't want to go sit and learn in the yeshiva because he's, he's man enough to understand, I don't, I'm not yeshiva material. I don't like learning anymore. I want to serve in the army. You're saying to him, oh, by the way, deal with that melting pot. I feel that this is, I, 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 it's, it's a complete and utter failure of our communal leadership that, that we're not creating fundamental uh, um, ways for these young people to serve in the army in such a way that they, they don't have to compromise their religious values. And for some reason, we have compromised on this, and we're not learning from the Haredim, and the Haredim are saying, you know, like, Nacha Haredi or whatever, we're not learning from them, and I think that's a huge failure on our part. And we blame, and, and I think that in a way, Hezder is responsible because, well, if I, don't, if I create this other alternative, then half the kids are not going to go to Hezder. Well, maybe they shouldn't go to Hezder. Maybe it's not for them. You know, it's so interesting. There's such a thing for, for if you're listening in America, it's understood that your child will come for a year, study for a year, and it's considered preparatory before they go to college. And if they're serious, then they go for two years. And then they'll be really good boys and then good, good young women, and then they'll go back to college, and hopefully they'll make their way. But there is no such equivalent of army prep because mechinot are perceived as being less, perceived as being, you know, for the people who are weak, perceived as people who are not strong. There is no preparatory yeshiva program for serious young people who want to then be in the army in a serious way. And, and I think that that's our, that's our feeling. And, and the, the results that are coming from that are the responsibility of our leadership and our community who is not willing to take a stand and say, at least there should be an opportunity, not just for men, but also for women who want to serve in meaningful roles, and I don't know, we'll discuss that another time, to not have to compromise their religious values in the framework of the army. So, uh, two responses. And yeah, No, I hear you. I think you're underselling the Mechinot a little bit. Um, I definitely agree with you about Hezder. I think, um, you know, um, there's a difference between if you go in with a Hezder unit or if you're thrown in. Um, I think the Mechinot are trying to be that middle place. Um, and they want to go in together, as far as I understand, right? If I understand Mechino correctly, right? They send their... They, they want together. to, but they don't have any say. Right, okay. They so that's, I agree with you. These are problems. And I think you might... Meaning, I think you're maybe overstating it a little too black and white, because I think Mechinot are trying to fill that middle middle space that, that you're saying is absent. But I think you're also right, which is that the Datilumi community is kind of a little confused about what it wants, right? Because... Um, do we oppose mixed units? Or are we into mixed units now? If you ask the Lichtenstein, right, or certain, you know, Hezder Yeshiva, they'll say, Adkan, we, you know, we're, we're going to, like, close down our Hezder Yeshiva if you don't allow us to, let's say, you know, remain in our groups and no mixed tanks or whatever it is. And then you'll have Elezar Stern, if I recall correctly, who's a kippah-wearing head of, you know, army guy, who's like, no, Bashita, I want to mix the Atilumi kids in with the Chiloni kids because that's what Israeli society is about. It's about understanding each other. It's about integrating together. It's about becoming Jews, Israeli. It's about, you know, Am Yisrael. And there are definitely members of the Tilumi community who believe that very fervently. So this comes back. It's about using the army as, as a public policy pot. institute. Correct. Not as a, not as a, not as a, as a vessel Correct. for... But for serving the public good, no, and that's exactly what the Haredim are saying. Good, but it's, it, no, I'm, so actually, not as a vessel for defending the country. No, you're also defending. Not as a vessel. No, you're also defending the country, but you're also doing something for the larger community. You're 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 bringing all different kinds of people together, um, and that has value. But I think what this comes back to is one of the other issues we deal with: the Haredi community. No, but that's wrongly. But that's exactly what the Haredim yeah. are saying. The Haredim are saying we're not interested. You're right. not interested in 
and protecting the country. You have enough soldiers. You're interested in socially engineering our community. And we're not interested right. in that. Okay. No, but thank you. I, I, but I'm going to make your point and agree with you, but just in a slightly different way, which is the Haredim are, and this comes back to what we, we keep saying, right? The Haredim are saying, we are not interested in becoming Jewsraeli. We are interested in remaining Haredi. We don't want to meld our our religious experience with our nationalist, nationalistic experience. And the Datilumi world is much more complex than that. And there are a lot of strands in the Tilumi world, a lot of competing values, people, different people putting different emphases on different values. And that makes it really complex. There is no, who are Datilumi leaders? There are so many strands. Johnny, I think, um, pointed us to something maybe we'll talk about in the future, a book he's reading now about how the Datilumi world is not one world, which is something we've talked about. We've talked about this in terms of elections. It's 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 not it's it, there's not one Datilumi Hashkafa. There are four, maybe five, under the umbrella of what calls itself Datilumi. And that makes it really complex for us to lobby for what we want because we don't know what we want. Partially because there are different some of us we, we want different things, partially because we want things that are maybe mutually exclusive or contradictory, and it becomes much more complex. Yep. Okay, I want to turn to one more point that that Nathan Sifkin wrote. But it wasn't Nathan Sifkin. Uh, he, he he actually in his blog he he posted a translation of Rabbi Leizer Melamed's article that he wrote on the in Besheva this week about yeshiva students and about enlisting. So that's it's worthwhile. It's called Must Yeshiva Students Enlist. It's worthwhile just to read it. I want to focus on one point that Rabbi Melamed made. Okay, that that it, it that I think is a fundamentally uh, he fundamentally disagrees with the whole, I would say, underlying reasoning for the idea of Talmud Torah. And he says the following. He says, uh, and I'm going to read it, okay? The mitzvah to enlist in the army applies to all Jewish men, including those who wish to study Torah in yeshiva. When, however, when it is not security necessity to recruit all young men without exception, it is a mitzvah to postpone the enlistment of those interested and suitable for rabbinical and educational positions so they will be able to study diligently and excel in Torah. And when they are rabbis and educators, contribute their, from their education and Torah knowledge to strengthen Jewish awareness of Israel's security and Yeshua Aretz. I'll just paraphrase in my own words. What Rabbi Lamed said is that the reason why it's so important for young people to study Torah is because one day they're going to be teachers and rabbis. And when they're teachers and rabbis and educators and leaders in their community, that investment society has made in them will pay off. What I want to point out is that Rabbi Lamed is... He is, he is, without stating it, totally rejecting what I would call the mystical view of Talmud Torah, which has, which has gained, I would say, almost universal acceptance. And if you would ask anyone from modern Orthodox religious Zionists all the way through Haredi for sure, they would say, why is it important for, for Yeshiva Bachim to learn? Learning protects society. The spiritual value of the learning is valuable in and of itself. And Rabbi Lamed has now, just, without saying anything, just utterly rejected this idea. If you think about it, like this is a big, uh, the reason Slifkin quoted it and highlighted it is because this is a big pet peeve of his. Like it's, a, it's an idea promoted, in, I think, in the Nefesh HaChayim somewhere, but nowhere do you find this in Shas, nowhere do you find this anywhere in like accepted postgame. And somehow it's become the prevalent accepted value that no, Talmud Torah is in itself a value. Talmud Torah protects society. Talmud Torah is not only a value, it's the value. And along comes Rabbi Lamed and says, it's a value when you use it. It's not a value in and of itself. And so Rabbi Lamed has basically said, if you're not going to become a rab and you're not going to become an educator, you have no, your learning is not more valuable than anything else anybody else is doing. 
how did this mystical view of Talmud Torah, and I mean, maybe I'm springing this on you, so maybe it's not fair to ask, how did it become so widely accepted throughout religious society that nobody even seems to question it anymore? First of all, I want to just a little bit nuance what he said. He says, with the immense importance of the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, it does not override the mitzvah of enlisting in the army. This is not only because the well-known halachic rule that one mitzvah cannot be carried out, a mitzvah that cannot be carried out by others, right? If like, if we need everybody, if you need to fight, you can't learn at that point, um, right? And the mitzvah of enlisting the army is far more important because all of Israel's existence depends on it, um, right? And regarding the Torah scholars you're not regarding, here I do think he is saying what you're saying, right? It's like, my mystical learning is really what's going to protect people, Right? The meanings that they're exempt from this type of guarding primarily intended for the... Okay, whatever, that's technical. Theft, right? right. But So I think what he's, I think you're right in terms of what he's saying, which is he's saying, I don't, I don't buy this idea that like the, the Bacha shuckling in yeshiva is spiritually sending out, you know, spiritual vibes that are going to stop the, the, the bombs from falling. But I don't think he's saying, and I don't think you, you think he's saying that like we don't believe that like putting out spiritual vibes is uh, is not a value. I think we do believe that putting out spiritual vibes and putting out vibes of Talmud Torah is a value. I think what, what you're saying, and I think what he's saying is, you're right, it became this idea that like, every second of the day, someone has to be learning because that creates some kind of mystical force shield. How did that happen? I don't know. I'll tell you what I suspect. I suspect that that became the... Um, I remember hearing that when I was a kid. Right, I remember right. hearing that, you know... Uh, why did a Jew assimilate in Paris? Because a Jew in Vilna wasn't learning. You know, I never heard that stuff. No, I never, I never heard that um, stuff. But I I'll did. tell you how. Well, you went to different yes, institutions. I did. I, yeah, <laughs> I did. But I'll tell you what I think. Why was that being so pushed? Because that was the line that the that the Haredi world was using to explain why it wasn't going to the army. But the truth is, between you and me. Now, this is way, Mom, I'm sorry, this is way okay. before there's an army. This is way, so? way, yes, way maybe before. It's you're, from, oh, yeah, you're going back, you're going back from? to a Chaim yeah, of Elijah. Exactly. You're going back to a Chaim of Elijah. Okay, but I'm saying, yeah. but it became... It, Somehow that Nefesh Chaim has become the mantra of, of Yeshiva Judaism. You go to YU, they believe this too, 100%. Listen, and there's something very beautiful about it, and, and maybe there's some truth to it as well. I just think that like it's it's it, you can't just believe in that. Um, and by the way, I want to say that I, I had a Haredi woman that I knew whose brother was in a yeshiva in Steyrot, and all the other yeshivas evacuated, and they said, we have to put our money where our mouth is. If we think that our learning Torah is going to, like, save Steyrot, then we're not leaving, because the same way if we were stationed here as Chayalim, we're stationed here as Bachare Yeshiva, which I found very impressive. Um, how, why did it become this thing? I don't know. Again, I think it, it took off because it became the explanation and the excuse for why Haredim don't go to the army, and I think it's really just a cover. I think their real reason is is what they what they are now admitting more or less openly, which is that they, they want to preserve their Haredi lifestyle. Um, and that doesn't mean that I don't think that when they say that they, they're not sincere. I think that they are, but I think that, again, I think it's, it's like the ideological cover for a much more sociological reason. I don't have a explanation for yeah. why it took off, though. That's it just... Maybe All right. it's just, if you have explanations, yeah. you have ideas. Maybe it's just an email. Maybe We've it's got an a email. powerful idea. People yeah. like it. I definitely think people do like it. I definitely think if you want to motivate people to spend their days like learning it, I mean, people are really learning Kolo. Uh -huh. It's you a hard to thing them, to do. It's right. really hard. The truth is that comes back to yeah, my, and they, uh, and, they don't, and you're you're consigning uh -huh. yourself to a people life of need adventure. Poverty and people and need meaning, and they need reason to do what they're doing, and it needs to have value. And so you're giving people an, a, a, 
a reason to, to, as you said, to get up and to, and to keep fighting the good fight. You're, you're turning, you're turning what they're doing into a, like a battle and that's, people need that. All right. On that note, this is a good place to end our discussion. Uh, thank you for listening. If you have comments or questions, you can email me or Molly or even Johnny Solomon. Or if you are Johnny Solomon, you can also email me or Molly or just WhatsApp us. Okay. Um, I want to thank Molly for, for participating. I want to thank you for this discussion. If you are listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. It allows more people to see our podcast. And also, if you wanted to mention it to your friends, Share it with friends, share it with enemies, just share it, uh, and help spread the word. I want to thank my son, Petachis Volter, for writing the music that introduces and, and, and uh, brings us out of our, our uh, podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening.